You know, and I, I'm not sure how it is with you, but I find myself at different times in worship, there are certain uh, affirmations, there are certain hymns that we sing that bring back um, memories of my childhood. And, and I tell you, every time we sing the Gloria Patri, I think of when I was 11 years old and I was worshiping at Arlington Temple United Methodist Church up in uh, up in uh, Roslyn, Northern Virginia, and uh, we we worshipped in the basement, and so we had you know the hotel basement of the Marriott Hotel, and um, <clears throat> we had to we had to sit up every Sunday morning, and so I would help the the pastor and his wife, and we would put hymnal bring the hymnals out of the storage closet there, and we would put them out, and. Um, We'd have the hotel chairs all lined up and ready for worship. And uh, we sang the Glory Patrick every, every Sunday in that little, little church. Hardly uh, 20, 30 people would gather. Um, and it just, every time we sing it, it brings back those memories. And for me, maybe that says something about the value of repeating some of the things that we do. Um, because it does help us remember beyond our own memory, but into generations that go before us. Let us uh, turn to God in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this scripture from Isaiah and also from John. They both have something to tell us this morning about how we are to receive your message, how we are to to learn from you, to gain your wisdom. We confess, Lord, that too often we think we, we know it all. <laughs> and so we just close our ears, close our minds. But help us, Lord, help us to listen to these words anew. Help us to hear something different in them than perhaps we have heard before. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, it was the year 2000. What's that? 16 years ago. I was completing 15 years as the Director of Communications for the Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church. And part of my responsibility was to be the editor of the Virginia United Methodist Advocate. I was returning back to the pastorate, to be a pastor again. I was a member of the General Commission on Communications, and I was fortunate enough to be elected to General Conference that year. I was a delegate to the 2000 General Conference, and in my capacity as a director of communications and working with many other United Methodist communicators across the denomination, I helped sort of create the, the, um, the legislation that was presented to that general conference that year. It was a, it was a $22 million campaign to reach 25 through 54-year-olds with a multimedia campaign known as Igniting Ministry. 
those of you who have been a part of this church over those years, if you may recall that Bill Clark and others were instrumental in kind of taking the igniting ministry research and the the resources that had been created, uh, pu- putting it in action, putting and we became certified as a welcoming congregation, and it was all part of this this program, part of the training. Well, the General Conference amazingly approved that plan. Uh, And I say it's amazing because that's a lot of money for the denomination to put into what clearly is advertising. It was more than that, but but that was the, the big part of the expense of this. And the first TV ads then began to appear on September 5, 2001. Is that kind of, are you going back in history? Needless to say, the world changed six days later. With the World Trade Center towers lying in rubble, United Methodist Communications quickly revised the advertising that was part of Igniting Ministry. And an ad was, uh, well, a billboard, I should say, was a 45-foot billboard was put up on a building two blocks from Ground Zero in Manhattan. And that billboard featured two hands in prayer with the message, fear is not the only force at work in the world. Fear is not the only force at work in the world. And it included the, the slogan, which has become very familiar, and which is the basis of our, of our Advent uh, worship series. Our hearts, our minds, and our doors are always open, the people of the United Methodist Church. Well, I don't need to tell you in case, well, unless you had, had not heard, that that slogan received some criticism. Some people say, well, that's... Yeah, that's really nice to be open, but I'm not so sure that church is open. And many would use examples of churches where people were not very welcoming and not very open to, to new ideas or even to having open hearts and being welcoming and caring to strangers among them. But at 160 test churches over the next four years, what we found is that first-time visitors to their churches increased by 19%. That's almost one in five. And overall attendance increased by 9%. So regardless of what one might say about the slogan and how accurate it is, whether it's false advertising or whether it's true or whether it's simply a guide that moves us in that direction, The reality is that when the church was open to trying something new, that openness really made a difference. And people responded. And people came. I'd like to suggest that openness is not simply a slogan. I believe it's a mandate from God. Now, the prophet Isaiah knew the importance of an open mind. He wrote in our lesson today, morning by morning, that means every day, morning by morning God wakens. 
He wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. Now, you have to read that more than once sometimes just to kind of figure out what what he's saying. What he's saying is that every day God wakes me up and, and, and wakes up my, kind of like maybe God flips, you know, kind of flicks my ear so that I will listen as a student, as one who is taught. An open mind is one that listens for God's voice, open to be taught, open for change, open for what God might say to us, where God might lead us. Now, Isaiah knew that people would not be open to what he learned. That if he listened for God's voice and then if he responded, people might just reject him and reject his teachings as well. He writes in verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me as if to say, hit me again. I give my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I have a little special understanding of that. In other words, go ahead, pluck out my beard, go ahead, strike me in the back. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. See, that's the price of an open mind. If we really are open to what God might lead us to do and say, we just might have to pay a price for that. Because other people might not agree with us, and they might be even people in our own household and in our own church. The scripture and the traditions of people of faith who have gone before us provide very important foundations for what we believe today. I don't want to negate the importance of scripture. I don't want to negate the traditions of of the faithful. But the question is, are we open to new revelations from God? Or are our minds open to, to what God may want to teach us? Are we open to the Holy Spirit? Remember Peter? Peter was a Jewish fisherman brought up in the faith. He believed Gentiles were unclean. He believed, as many of the Jews of his day believed, that the Hebrews were a chosen people. They were a royal priesthood, a light to the nations. God had had taken the Hebrew people and put them in a very special position to be a blessing to the rest of the world. And so, for Peter, the last thing in the world he would want to do is to mingle with Gentiles, the unclean, those who are not chosen. They took a dream of unclean animals precisely when he was hungry that led him to follow the servants of a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius. Really, it was the Lord who was summoning him, and he traveled with them to the home of Cornelius. And there, not only was Cornelius there, but but his whole household. He had invited all of his family 
And because Peter was willing to cross the threshold of an unclean Gentile, because he was willing to have an open mind and hear that God was teaching him something new, he became an instrument for the conversion of that entire family. And later, remember Saul, who we know of more appropriately, I guess, is the Apostle Paul. Saul was originally a, a Pharisee, and he persecuted Christians. He held the cloaks of those who, who stoned Stephen, the young Christian who had been set aside to care for widows. Saul absolutely believed that these Christians were perverting the faith. And it took a blinding experience on a road to Damascus to teach him something new. Something new about these so-called followers of the way. And because of his background, because of his Jewish pharisaical background, he of all people would, would believe that circumcision was the rightful sign of a man's covenant with God. It's prescribed in the Bible. If you are going to be in covenant with God and you're a man, you're going to be circumcised. But Saul, who then became Paul, had an open mind to what God was teaching him, and he'd learned that that maybe wasn't the, the critical matter. It really was a circumcision of the heart that was important. God opened his mind and he, he paid the price. He paid the price with beatings and ridicule and imprisonment. You see, it's not just a simple thing to have an open mind, but to have an open mind and allow God to teach you and then to respond to that teaching, if we're really honest, we, we'll see that it's not easy and there might very well be a severe price to pay for that. Remember the woman caught in adultery? She attracted a whole crowd of people ready and willing to carry out the scriptural mandate to stone those caught in adultery. That was the law. It was scriptural. But it took Jesus to intervene and teach them a new lesson about forgiveness. Jesus was trying to open the minds of those who held the rocks. He wanted to open their minds to a better way. Maybe a little bit closer to home. If you read your Bible, you, you'll find out that slavery is perfectly acceptable in both the Old and New Testaments. You can find it. Just Google slavery in the Bible. But who among us today, who among us would say that is an acceptable practice for those of us who call ourselves after the name of Christ? Tell me one. But the Bible says it. What's happened in these years since those words were written? Is God teaching us something new? Is God calling us to open our minds to something more important than the than the social norms around us? The very birth of Jesus is a lesson in opening our minds. The Jewish people in 
in his day were expecting a warrior king as their Messiah. They wanted a Messiah who would come in with a sword and with chariots and an army and defeat those, those Romans, drive them out of the promised land. They did not expect the son of a carpenter and a peasant woman. That was certainly not their idea of a Messiah. Certainly not one who would be born in poverty and laid in the eating trough of animals, a manger. That's why so many people closed their minds to him. They just couldn't grasp how God would change God's mind. John writes in his gospel, the true light, the true light that enlightens everyone, that, that, that you know, helps us see things differently, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. You see, people are afraid to open their minds. Their faith is like a, like a house of cards. One card stacked upon another as high as they can imagine. And their fear is that if you pull one card out, the whole house will come falling down. And so they close their minds to what God is trying to say to them. One of my colleagues that, that I've known for many, many years, when I was in college, I remember him saying, and it stuck with me all these years, he said, you, you know, you can be so open-minded that you become flat-headed. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. But what does it say about not having an open mind? What happens to your head then? What happens to your heart? What happens to your body? What happens to you as a follower of Christ when you close your mind and you say, Lord, I don't want to hear anything new. I've kind of figured it all out and I can live my life the way I've kind of seen it. But don't tell me something new that kind of, you know, confuses me. But the truth is God is calling us to open our minds as hard as that might be. And that can be scary because we might be wrong. We might think God is teaching us something new only to find out it wasn't God who was speaking in the first place. But the alternative is to close our minds to what God is saying to us today in a new way. A story is told of a, of a woman who was cleaning up, a volunteer in the church was cleaning up the sanctuary and she went up to the pulpit and she noticed that the preacher had left his uh, sermon notes on the, uh, on the pulpit. And she started reading the notes and she noticed that it was typed out, but he had made some notes along the way, giving him instructions on how he was to, you know, present this particular sermon. And she noticed one little note in particular that said, raise your voice and pound your fists on the pulpit. Your argument is weak here. (laughs) 
Sometimes, you see, we do more shouting than we do listening. Maybe it's time for us to say, you know, I don't know. I don't know if this is what God is saying to me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out in faith and maybe believe that God is teaching me something new, and I might be wrong, and that's okay, because God will forgive me. But the worst thing that I can do is say, Lord, don't speak to me. Don't tell me something new, because I'm not ready to listen. Isaiah gives us good advice by sharing with us what he does every day. Morning by morning, God wakens, he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. Sometimes we are so convinced that we are right that we close our ears and therefore we close our minds to new truths. You know, when I was younger, there were a lot of things in my life that seemed pretty clear to me. They, you know, things were pretty black and white when I was younger. But as I've gotten older, life has become a lot grayer in more ways than one. John Wesley, who founded Methodism, never compromised his beliefs. But I do firmly believe that he had an open mind. In his 1771 sermon, A Catholic Spirit, he wrote these words, among others. Hold fast to that which you believe is most acceptable to God, and I will do the same. I believe the Episcopal form of church government to be scriptural and apostolic. If you think the Presbyterian or Independent is better, think so still and, and act accordingly. I believe infants ought to be baptized and that this may be done either by dipping or sprinkling. If you are otherwise persuaded, be so still and follow your own persuasion. It appears to me that written prayers are especially useful, particularly in the larger congregation. If you judge extemporaneous prayer to be of more use, act suitable to your own judgment. I have no desire to dispute with you one moment upon any of the preceding topics. Let all these smaller points stand aside. Let them never come into sight. If your heart is as my heart, if you love God and all mankind, I ask no more. Give me your hand. You see what Wesley was saying? He was saying that sometimes we think things are so important that we close off our, our minds and our hearts and our ears because we're so convinced that our way is right and someone else's way is wrong. And Wesley is saying if your heart is as my heart, if you love God, and if you love your brothers and sisters, then give me your hand. I am absolutely convinced that if we open our minds, God will have a lot to say to us. Let us pray. Lord, forgive us for shutting you out. Help us to be open to new 
teachings to your spirit. Amen.